What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Exceeding Wild Black. Y'all, I don't know what's been going on with my sinuses, but it seems like every, well, it seems like the second time that I got like the vaccine, my sinuses have been acting up. Like my throat has not been the same. I just been feeling, ugh, but that's besides the point. I'm excited for it today. Again, as you guys know, we're going through a mother's viewpoint and it's to the expressiveness of these women and talking about the pre-birth and afterbirth and just the things that they've been through that has just been ridiculous. So I'm really excited to have the opportunity to speak to these women, to speak to these ladies, wonderful ladies. And this next one, this next one, Ariana really went into details of everything and some things that, again, like I said in our previous episode, that not every woman will experience the same thing. You know, um, every woman has different, a different story, Um, but it's the fact that you never know what you're going to go through once you're pregnant. You know, you don't know the the things that your body can take or the things that your body will go through. So I feel like this is important for all women and men to understand that it's not as simple as just saying, yes, you know, when I have children, you know, you have to think about everything else that your body's going to encounter. Like it's, it's a mental change, emotional change and physical change. So it's a huge step and I'm just excited to be able to speak on it. And to be able to give some type of enlightenment towards this specific subject. So instead of me just, you know, going on and on <laughs> about this, let's just go ahead and hear it from the woman herself, Ariana. Hey, girl. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. So first off, thank you so much for wanting an interview, for wanting to share your experience with not only me, but with the other women and the future mothers of this world. Now, I'm not even going to lie to you. I have had like two interviews so far, and the mm-hmm. stories that I've heard, <laughs> child, I'm, I'm, I'm scared when it comes to pregnancy. So, <laughs> so tell us your story from the moment you found out and how you how you were mentally internally like tell us when and how you found out that you were pregnant because you have two children now right yeah i have two <laughs> girl t- tell us both tell us both stories. okay with uh my first baby kingston um hmm i guess this this sounds so cliche but when you know you just know like um, I've had like other scares before, but mm-hmm. when I got pregnant with him, I just knew. And it's like your body will tell you all the signs. I thought I had food poisoning. Um, I couldn't sleep, uh, excruciating cramping, all that. And I didn't want to take a test <laughs> because I just knew. I was like, oh, dang, if I take a test, then that's just going to solidify what I already know. So I waited and waited and waited, and then one day I got a call from my grandma, and she was like, well, um, 
what you doing in life, um, how's life going, uh, you need to get back in school, do this, do that, um, but that's if you're not pregnant. <laughs> right. And it, that's so funny to me because my grandma, like, she knows things before you even know them. Um, very, very intuitive. So I was like, dang, now I know for sure that I'm pregnant. So I end up taking the pregnancy test or whatever. Meanwhile, um, my husband is in Louisiana and I was, I was back in Georgia at the time. Mm -hmm. So I told him, okay, I think I'm pregnant. And so I took the test and I was pregnant and I was so scared at the time. It wasn't like an immediate, like feeling of joy. I was kind of scared because I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Am I really ready to be a mom? Because I was 24 at the time. Actually, I was 23 when I got pregnant. And I always said that I wanted my first baby at 24. So he came right when I was 24. But I I was just like, oh, my God, am I really ready? He just wasn't ready. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So so, um, I didn't tell my husband right away because I was still doing some mental compartmentalizing and, like, trying to figure out, oh, oh my God, what what is life about to consist of? So when I finally did tell him, he was, like, overjoyed. And I was expecting the the total opposite from him, considering that he wanted to wait till we were, like, 27 to have our first kid. And Mm. I finally had agreed. And then right when I agreed, that's when I found out that I was pregnant. So he was overjoyed to that that immediately made me feel better and, like, more at ease about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. So I was I was smooth sailing for the most part. Um, my cravings were insane. I, I was vegan at the time, and I just was, like, craving nothing but burgers. Burgers, fries, <laughs> steaks, <laughs> ribs. Anything that was meat, I was eating it. I had a Beyond Burger one day. It came up. So I was like, this baby doesn't oh. no fake stuff. He wants the real stuff. And that's how I, like, I just knew in my heart that it was a boy. So I was like, he need all this meat for some, some muscle mass, something. So, um, <laughs> right. And so uh, moved back to Louisiana after I um, got pregnant because I was up here working and stuff because he was like, he was in the military, so he was in the field a lot, you know, going on assignments. And I'm mm. scary. I don't like to be by myself. So I came back home and stayed with my parents for a little while. But when I got pregnant, I moved back. Um, and everything was good, going to my doctor's visits and everything. But around 20 weeks, um, I started bleeding. And mm. I was scared. I couldn't feel any movement. We rushed to the hospital. And um, they did like, <clears throat> excuse me, they did like an internal ultrasound or whatever. And mm-hmm. the doctor, she told me that she didn't see any heartbeat and she couldn't see, tell where the blood was coming from. So we were in Louisiana. They ended up rushing me to Lafayette, Louisiana, which was probably a good two hours away from where we were. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had underwent, like, a whole bunch of exams and stuff like that. And um, the doctor initially told me that I had ruptured my placenta. And if that was the case, then, of course, I was going to lose him. So um, I went to the other hospital that she sent me over to, and, like, a whole bunch of doctors were examining me, like neonatal doctors, all this. And um, 
they didn't know where the bleeding was coming from, but they eventually mm-hmm. found it through, um, like, ultrasound, and I had a small tear in my placenta. They couldn't tell me, like, where it came from. Sometimes it just happens. And um, they kept me, I think I was in the hospital for maybe, like, three days, so they could just watch mm-hmm. me and make sure that the bleeding stopped. But in right. the meantime, they were like, you know, if um, this is something serious, um, and we have to deliver the baby. Um, are you going to be okay with that? Because delivering him now would mean that his life wouldn't be viable. Like there would be nothing we could do to save him. So are you okay with, you know, possibly mm. terminating your pregnancy? So like, I'm like just going through a whole bunch of, bunch of emotions, crying, um, hooked up to all kind of machines, IVs. And I hate, I hate IVs. I hate like needles in veins, like I cannot do it. Um, right. But you kind of have to get over that when you get pregnant because you're basically a walking pincushion when you get pregnant. So right. um, uh, they watched me for three days. Um, the bleeding stopped. Um, I didn't really feel like they uh, were that concerned. Um I'm going to say, you know, because my doctors were white. <laughs> and um, they were just... You had to say it, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like, I just didn't feel like there was any sense of compassion because uh, one of the doctors, she came in and he was like, well, um, yeah, if you have the baby, you know, with with the with him being 20 weeks, he wouldn't be viable, blah, 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 blah. Um you're not bleeding anymore, so I don't see the issue. Um, you're just um, you're just here in the hospital taking up a bed. That's what he <gasps> told me. And what? I was like, I was like, are you are you serious right now? Like I felt the I, I felt the type of way, oh and that like God. really made me cry when he left the room because I'm like, so I don't matter to you. You just waiting for the next person, uh, probably a white woman to come in and give your best care because clearly you don't care about me to say something like that. So right. um, he, when he gave me my orders uh, to be sent home or whatever, um, I just kind of felt like it was rushed. Like I wanted to be sure that I was okay. In three days, you can't really tell. No. Like, uh-huh. stop, but could there be something else wrong? So he was like, well, the bleeding stopped for now. Um, the bleeding starts again, then you'll just have to turn around and come back. Who trying to do that? And I'm two hours away from you. So I felt some type of way. I, I called and um, left reviews and everything. I was just, like, so mm-hmm. traumatized by that. So um, that was 20 weeks. And then um, – Can I, can I ask going, you a question? So, mm-hmm. so with so within that time, within those twenty weeks, um, this is the time where your husband was like in the military, so he wasn't with you, right? Uh, let's see. He was he was with me. We were um, I can I think I went down there. By the time I went back down there, I might have been twelve weeks. Okay. Because I All I right. had my first doctor's appointment. Um down there in Louisiana. Um, I called um, to schedule an appointment in Georgia, but, you know, they like they usually like to wait till you're, like, around 8 to 12 weeks, and mm-hmm. you have to, like, they have to schedule you, and sometimes they'd be full. So I just ended up going to um, schedule it in Louisiana at the military hospital that, that was on base. So I was okay. – I was, I was 12 weeks on my first appointment, and I had already moved back down there by then. Oh, 
But, okay. you know, um, when they have, like, breaks and holidays and stuff, I, I'm pretty sure I got pregnant around Thanksgiving time because when mm-hmm. we went to uh, D.C. to visit his family for Christmas, I was sleeping a whole bunch, and his stepmom was like, she ain't pregnant, is she? And I was like, no, I'm not pregnant. But looking back, after we had uh, was like, oh, dang, she is pregnant, and I looked back. I did have a little bump, but I didn't notice, and I was working two jobs, so, like, mm. for me to be tired wasn't anything, like, out of the normal. Like, out right. of the norm, yeah, so, mm-hmm. me sleeping all the time, I was just like, okay, I'm just tired from work. I wasn't putting in my head that, you know, I'm pregnant, but, right, yeah, that's what it was, but, but so, my, my goodness, I said, my goodness, like, all that, like, to, to have to deal with that and to be in the hospital afraid, not knowing if your child's going to be alive, like the mental emotions yeah. that you must have been going through. Like, were you yeah. going through anything, like, mentally that would just that just had you, like, at kind of, like, a disadvantage of having, like, a happy pregnancy? Um, no, not really. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I think <clears throat> at the time I was stressed just because, you know, he was in the military. It was so much going on um, with right. him um, and, like, the people down there, like, um, the commission officers and everything. Like, he was having a hard time. So I kind of feel like that just, like, transferred over to me and not being surrounded by family members because I knew nobody down there. Like, I have mm-hmm. family in Louisiana, but they're they five hours away in New Orleans. So it's just like I didn't really have anybody. I was going through pregnancy essentially by myself. Like, even though he was there, he wasn't really there because he was working from, like, 5 in the morning to maybe 7 or 8 at night. So it was like I was always by myself. So right. that that could have been something that was, like, mental like I always just felt like I was alone and going through it alone and um I honestly didn't even think that I could get pregnant because my cycles are so freaking irregular (laughs) so um they never say never (laughs) right right (laughs) after the 20 weeks everything was pretty much smooth sailing and um of course I had to be monitored more because at this point they were like okay um, your baby might try to come early. And mm-hmm. um, so I was getting blood drawn on the regular, getting my blood pressure taken. So I was pretty much good. And then um, Ju- was it July? I think it was July. July 2018, um, he retired from the military or whatever because he ended up getting injured. Um, and we mm-hmm. moved back to Georgia. So... That took a toll on me. I think that that really took a toll on me, like moving and uh, the stress of moving, driving nonstop. We literally drove nonstop from um, Louisiana all the way to Georgia, and that's like a 12, 13-hour drive. And it was, it, was, it was horrendous. Like my feet were swollen. I was tired. I was like, I, we just going to have to stop in Alabama so I can stay with my grandmother. Like I can't, I can't continue this journey with you. And the doctor – she told me that it wasn't a good idea that I should have just caught a flight back home, but she was just so adamant that we just drive. 
because we had mm-hmm. both of our vehicles to take and furniture, the U-Haul, all that. But the military removed stuff for you, but he just didn't want to go that route. So anyways, we ended up moving. It's July. I wasn't supposed to have Kingston until September 19th, and he came on August 16th. And I think it was because of the move. And um, up to me giving birth to him, like, I was just feeling, like, pitiful. And my mom, like, mom, she didn't know. She was like, you about to have this baby. And I was like, well, it's not time. We got a whole nother month. She's like, no, you looking like you about to have the baby. Because I was, like, super swole. Um, My feet were swollen. And, like, I was just moving slow. And then... um, like for it seemed like it was two weeks I had this ringing in my ear and I thought maybe I had an ear infection I'm digging in my ear trying to see what the heck is in my ear like it just felt <laughs> like something was in my ear then I couldn't sleep at night every time I laid down it felt like something was sitting on my chest and I couldn't breathe so I would have to sit up at night to sleep and I did that for maybe like three nights and then the next day Um, We went to the library or something, and I could hardly walk up the stairs without, like, I think I might have gotten to the third step and couldn't breathe. And so I was just like, you know what, Um, you're just about to take me to the hospital. So went to the hospital. My blood pressure was, um, like, 171 over 101 or, no, 111, something crazy, like, heart attack range. So, um Again, the the people who assisted me in triad, they didn't care. Um, Asian man, white lady. They're like, oh, well, um, if your head is hurting, because I also had a headache, and I get migraines all the time. So I I know what a migraine is. Same here, girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this headache was, like, behind my left eye, and I was like, something's not right. I, don't, I never get migraines behind my left eye. It's always, like, the center or the back of my head. Um, right. was never behind my eyes, so I was like, something's wrong. So they were trying to give me Tylenol and send me back home. And I was like, no, I'm not going back home because if something happens, you know, then what? So they were like, okay, well, um, a nurse, she came out of the back, and she was like, oh, well, did y'all think to take her um, blood or uh, urine before you just send her home because her blood pressure is, like, extremely high? So she took my blood, um, and after that, they admitted me to the hospital. So we go over to um, the main hospital, the labor and delivery for women. Um, mm-hmm. And the doc, the doctor, she was a black woman. So at this moment is when I, like, finally felt seen. And she came yeah, up. Relief. Right. She calmed me down. <laughs> she reassured me, and she, she basically just told me what was going on. She was like, um... You have preeclampsia. I don't know why it wasn't caught early on. Um, And basically, baby's doing really good, but right now your body is in bad shape. And if we don't get the baby out of you, it's, you know, either you're going to die or both of y'all are going to die. So, (laughs) um, yeah, they took me over to, um, like, the delivery room or whatever and Mm -hmm. started the process of, like, induction. So they put the little strips in my vagina or whatever, and I forget what it's called, but it hurts. And um, I think that stays in there for 24 hours. Um, it's supposed to, like, soften your um, your cervix, that word. 
I was about to say, I was about to say, is it your <laughs> cervix? <laughs> yeah, it's just the your cervix and like uh, help you like dilate. Um, but mm-hmm. of course, I'm a whole month away from you know my due date, so that 24 hours it didn't do nothing. Like I was still sitting at a centimeter. So they're like, okay, well we're gonna have to give you something else. So they gave me pitocin. And uh, Pitocin is probably, like, one of the worst things you can get. It makes, like, your labor so much more excruciating. Like, the contractions are painful. And I had in my mind that I wanted to do the natural water birth. Like, that's what I always wanted to do. But, of course, when your blood pressure is through the roof and all that, um, you can't do that because it's a risk for you and the baby. So that was out of the window. So they did the Pitocin. And um, it started to help. I could feel. And I was just like, okay, I'm not taking any pain drugs. I'm not going to take any pain relievers. Um, so they would give, give me <laughs> whenever I would ask because I was just so hell-bent on I'm going to have this baby naturally. And right. um, um, by the time I was like, I think I might have been seven centimeters. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I can't do this no more. You have to give me the epidural. And the the contractions were so painful. When I tell you it feels like somebody stabbing you with garden shears from the inside, that's what it felt like. So painful. And um, he came in, the doctor came in, and um, he was giving me my epidural. He was like, well, you're going to have to be really still. Like, he was just nasty acting, white doctor, um, mm-hmm. male doctor. And I'm like, okay, well, can you just wait because I'm having a contraction. I'm sitting here crying, telling myself, don't move, don't move. And um, I kind of jerked when he did stick me because when he stuck me, like, I was hit with another contraction. So after I got Mm. to the door, everything was good. I slept. They came in, turned me on my side a couple of times. And then they were like, it's time to push. And I was pushing, but I can not feel nothing. And they just was like, well, that's that good epidural. <laughs> so I'm right. pushing and pushing and pushing. And I think by the third push, he finally popped out. So it was a pretty easy delivery, but the labor was painful. Um, and let's see, right after he was born, like, of course, um, they had to check all his vitals and everything, but they had to rush him to Nikki right. because he was so tiny. Um I think he weighed, how much did he weigh? I think he weighed four pounds, um, 11 ounces, something like that. He was tiny. Um, So in that moment, like, I kind of felt robbed again. Like, after after I left the hospital and um, I could really kind of reflect on my whole birthing process and my whole experience, I was really traumatized. (laughs) And I yeah. felt like I was robbed from a lot in that situation because I wanted things a certain way. Like I wanted a I wanted a natural water birth, and then I wanted like a lotus birth. Like I wanted to keep my placenta attached to him for as long as I could, but I couldn't because he he was a premium. You know they had to take him. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband didn't even get to clip the umbilical cord. It was such a rushed process. I felt like you know what we wanted, what my birth plan was like everything just went out the window. So right. he ended up being in NICU for like two weeks. 
and I had to stay for a week because my blood pressure was so high. They were like, okay, well, your blood pressure has come down um, since you've had him, um, but you're still in heart attack range. Like, I was I was breastfeeding him, so I would go downstairs um, to the NICU unit and um, breastfeed him, like, every two hours or whatever. And mm-hmm. it was one day they stopped me and they're like, well, I'm sorry to like say this, but if you want to go down to NICU, we're going to have to take you by wheelchair. And honestly, you can't go for the rest of the day. You can't go down there for the rest of the day um, because your heart rate is so high, we're scared that you're going to have a stroke or a heart attack at this point. So I had to start um, hand expressing um, my breast milk or like pumping. And um, mm-hmm. they would just take it to him. And, like, I felt so defeated at that point because I was like, my baby's already, okay. like, hooked up to all these tubes, um, feeding tubes, um, all kinds of needles in his little hand. And he had to be under the blue light because um, he had Johnny. So um, mm. it was just a lot. And yeah. It didn't help when family members were coming to visit because they kind of stressed me out even more. And then my husband's side of the family, like, I don't know, they just have no filter. And they're like, oh, well, it's time for you to put your girdle on. Girl, I just gave birth, not even right. like, 72 <laughs> hours ago. Can can I, like, just rest my body? Like, don't nobody want to jump into that because I feel like women in the South, like, everything has to be so glamorized or... Um, so tidy, so neat. Like you, you're not supposed to really experience things the way they are. They want you to fix your hair after you give birth. They want you to fix your face. They want you to put this on so your your body go back to the the way that it was before you even gave birth. And it's just like I just want to you know experience everything. And right. it's not such a big deal for me to have makeup on, have my hair done, and be snatched at the waist right after I give birth. That's just not realistic to me. Um, so anyways, NICU for him, um, that was an experience. Thank God that most of the staff were black women. And so whenever I went in, like, I immediately felt like he was in good hands. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, uh, pumping at home and my husband would take it to him, take the milk to the uh, NICU unit every morning. And then in the afternoon, like, I I had to stay home, of course. <laughs> so in the afternoon, yeah. I'm waiting for him to get home, and I'm just like a kid uh, waiting for <laughs> candy, like jumping for joy when, when he pull up in the driveway because we, we're going to the NICU so I can feed him for his evening feedings or whatever and spend time with him. So that was that was our daily routine for two weeks, and um, it was all good. And when we finally got to um, get him take him home or whatever. Um, I was about to leave my husband and go by myself because he hadn't gotten <laughs> home yet. So um, mm-hmm. we we went to NICU and it was kind of it was it was hard seeing other babies in NICU because my son, of course, he was born premature, but there were other babies in NICU that had like you know real life threatening problems. So I right. was just you know thank God and was just. Um, so grateful that he didn't have any conditions that, you know, were possibly permanent or were po- possibly, you know, life-threatening. So um, right. 
we were um, getting ready to take him home. He had to do his car seat test and everything, make sure he could breathe and everything was okay, and they didn't have to keep him. And literally the baby next to him had a seizure and stopped breathing, stopped everything. And it was so sad because it was it was a little black baby, um, a little girl, mm. and um, her family members were in there, her dad, I think her aunt, and uh, the dad's mom, her grandmother. And when she stopped breathing, like, she seized, like, everybody was, like, you know, freaking out. Her grandma was screaming, and the nurse came over. And I'd never seen, like, them beat on a newborn infant, but she was, like, pounding on the baby to, like, slapping her and everything, trying to, you know, get her to wake up. Get her to breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, they found, they got a heartbeat again. And the grandma, she was just hysterical. She was crying and crying and crying. I'm like, dang. You know that that's horrible, um, but it's got to be something else to it. So she she's talking to me, and um, I'm comforting her, and she's like, "Yeah, um, it's just been a whole lot." Um, her mom died in childbirth, and mm. like my heart just immediately broke, and I was like, "Dang, that could have easily been me." And it's just crazy to me that so many black women have that experience to where they're either near death or they do die, and it's just like. I feel like there's so many ways that it can be prevented, but it's just like nobody really cares. Um, yeah. So, Kingston got out of NICU, and it was smooth sailing from there. Of course, I still had to, like, sunbathe him and everything because um, he was still just a little jaundiced. But after he got out of NICU, he was reaching all his milestones and everything. So, that's baby number oh, one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> was baby yeah, number like, two better? <laughs> um, yeah, and they. <laughs> oh <laughs> lord! <laughs> I don't know how they missed um that I had preeclampsia with Kingston. Um, my doctor she was like mm. pissed about that. She was like, "You you could have been dead and gone." Um, I don't know why this wasn't caught. You know, while um you were living in Louisiana. And I was just, I was just shocked too because I was like, dang, like I've, I've been needing to get treated for this, and nobody said anything. My doctor was acting like everything was fine, but it could have been like a late onset of preeclampsia because it does sometimes happen. So with um, Corey, I made sure that you know I let them know my history with preeclampsia and everything, and. They constantly took every doctor's appointment I had. They made sure that they took my um, blood pressure. I always uh, took a urine sample to test it for, like, the protein. Like, if your protein levels are high in your urine, usually that means, like, you'll have early onset preeclampsia or whatever. So I was watched for that. I had to take um, aspirin throughout my pregnancy just to, like, keep my blood pressure level because sometimes it did get a little high. But um, I didn't have issues with her until I went in for my um, scheduled visit, which I think I was 38 weeks. So she was smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any issues with her. Um, I did. Right. I did lose a bit of my mucus plug around I think 30 weeks. But they were like, mm-hmm. okay, it's no big deal as long as you're not, like, leaking any water because your mucus plugs are always build itself back up. So um, by 38 weeks, I went in 
And I was like having a dilemma with myself because I was going to Emory Midtown and I was supposed to deliver there, but I had Kingston at um, Emory Decatur. And I was just kind of contemplating, do I really want to go to Emory Midtown and have her? Because for one, it's right there in the city. It's always like such a headache trying to get in there, find parking. It's always packed. And um, because it's um, right there in the city, it's mostly um, white staff. Um, yeah. And I always felt like I was just a number, like no it, it might have been one um, nurse that showed compassion or, like, she just cared. And I liked her a lot, but um, it was never the same doctor when I went to visit. So it's like I had no real relationship. And so when I delivered, like, am I going to even know who's delivering me? So right. I was, I was like, debating. And um, I had to make my appointment for my 38-week checkup. Um, and... They didn't have any more available appointments, so I had to go to Emory Decatur for my appointment. So I went to Emory Decatur. It's just a normal day. I'm not doing shopping, you know, not thinking nothing. Um, I got my husband and my son with me, and they were waiting for me because it's supposed to be a quick appointment in and out. It, at this point, when you get, like, 38 weeks, you start having an appointment every every week. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. I'm about to be in and out. I go in. um I was running behind because I couldn't find the building. And by the time I got back and the nurse took my blood pressure, she was like, oh, you about to have to stay, baby. And I was like, um, what you talking about? She was like, your blood pressure <laughs> That's not the plan. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, your blood pressure too high. And I was like, um, so what you mean? Like, they about the, to make me deliver? And she was like, yo, yeah, you about to have to stay. She's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you five minutes to calm down, to breathe, and then we're going to take it again. So she took it again. She was like, oh, yeah, uh, you might as well go ahead and get ready to um, stay. You got somebody um, to bring you your stuff, somebody to take you over to the main hospital. And I was like, yeah, but I started panicking then because I was like, oh, my God, not again. So yeah. um, call my husband, call my mom. I'm like trying to kind of about to cry but not really crying because I'm like okay I kind of know what to expect now so don't freak out but um you can't really help but to freak out in situations like that so the doctor came in she's a little old black lady and I she felt like a grandma to me so um (laughs) she ended up delivering my son too but she was like yeah I'm just gonna go ahead and go ahead over and send you over to triage um send you to labor and delivery you can go ahead and get in your gown because you about to have a baby girl and the way she said it um just made me feel like okay I'm in good hands like you know this is just it's just gonna happen and I can't do anything to stop it so you know just get with it so right uh, I go over to labor and delivery they check me in um get in my gown everything and get prepped and um they had to induce me again so (laughs) Of course, that that was painful. And I didn't tell you, like, my water didn't break with Kingston. So I was going to ask that because I didn't hear you say anything about your water breaking. Yeah, so, like, they broke, my, so, they had, so they had to break it? Yes, yes. Oh, mm. my God. Um, mm. Of course, they were constantly sticking their hands in my vagina anyways because they've taken stuff out, putting stuff in, and checking um, to see how far dilated I am. And that, that shit is excruciating, especially since my uterus sits high up and back. Yeah. Um, 
so the lady, she when she came to break my water with Kingston because she was like, you know, your contractions are coming back to back. Your water hasn't breaking, broken yet. We don't want to put him under distress. So she came in with these, like, long-ass chopsticks. Like, I promise you, they look like twice the length of what normal chopsticks look like, and they were kind of thicker. Mm. And she took her whole forearm and the chopsticks and stuck it up in me, and she was, like, searching for um, my sack, and then she popped it. Now, that hurt, but when the water started coming out, like, it was just relief, weirdly and oddly. Um and I didn't have to get stitched. Well, I got one stitch with Kingston. Um, mm-hmm. Thank God that I didn't tear. Um, and the placenta, it came out, and it felt weird. But it also was a relief because I was like, dang, I got my body back now. Back to yeah. my stuff. I ain't got nothing <laughs> strange living up in it. Um, but with Corey, um, girl... Everything was smooth sailing with Corey. 38 weeks, you know, you full-time, you can deliver. Um, They put the little strip in my cervix. They didn't do anything. I already knew it wasn't going to do anything. And it has, like, little ridges. So when they snatch it out, it literally feels like your your stuff is getting ripped open, like it hurts. Um, Mm. So they took the strip out. Um, They checked me. I wasn't dilating at all. Um, then they gave me gave me the Pitocin, which makes your contractions come, and I wasn't dilating at all. My I, my contractions was like coming every five minutes, and I still was only one centimeter dilated. So then they came mm-hmm. in and put like um, the little balloon um, in my cervix to like help dilate me. And mm-hmm. at the time, like they fill it up with water or whatever to help expand your your. Um, your uterus and all that so they did that and at the same time the doctor she came in and told me since you're not dilating we're going to go ahead and give you this drug that's going to you know help jump start that and I think I was supposed to have the normal dosage is 50 50 grams or something like that 50 milligrams and I was supposed to get 25 well the nurses which I felt like they were dumb and dumber Really, um, they they look they they look like two little girls straight out of high school, so they might have mm. been like nurses aides or something like that. So um, they they come in, they they give me my dosage, and then like a minute later, uh, they come back in. Oh, did you take your medicine already? And I'm like, yeah. Like, why you gotta check on me like I'm a child? Like I don't know how to take my medicine. Long story short, instead of giving me twenty five. Uh, milligrams that I was supposed to have, they gave me 200. <gasps> so, yeah. <laughs> they gave me 200. And literally, when the doctor walked back in, um, she was like, I don't want you to be um, afraid or anything, but they gave you the wrong dosage. Like, literally, they gave me, what, more than four times the dosage? Yeah. Um, and Basically. she was like, yeah, she was like, um, I know you want to deliver vaginally, but at this point you might have to do a cesarean. And I, like, I don't want to be cut on. Like, I don't like to be cut on. I don't even like getting my blood drawn. Like, I, when I tell you I turn into a two-year-old when they like, okay, let's draw some blood, and they be tapping on my veins, like, I lose it. So to, like, get cut on, like, I would 
totally lose it. They would have to put me under. So she's like, we're going to have to give you a C-section because your contractions are coming, like, fast now. And um, they're pushing on the baby in the way that um, she can be in distress. And um, you could possibly also have a heart attack. So I'm just like, bruh, here we go again. Like, everything was smooth sailing. Like, nothing was wrong with this pregnancy except for they had gave me the wrong dosage. So I could have delivered naturally. I hadn't gotten the epidural at that point. Like, I was, you know, handling it. Um, right. But when she came in, like, that's when that medicine, the medicine hit in, like, immediately. And I still had the balloon in, so it was like the contractions were contracting on the balloon, and it was just so much pressure. Like, I thought that I was just going to split open at the scene. Mm-hmm. And so she, she had literally put the balloon in, like, five minutes earlier, and she immediately had to take it out. And um, she was like, I think it's just best if you go ahead and get an epidural because your blood pressure is, like, increasing right now. So I got the epidural, went to sleep, and um, my husband left to go, um, I think, get some more clothes and stuff like that and um, get the baby stuff, some more mm-hmm. stuff for her because she was coming. Um, so I'm there alone, and I don't know, I woke up, like, in a joke. And, um, like, I was kind of paralyzed almost up to my chest and completely on my left side, and I couldn't breathe. Like, I couldn't breathe. Um, My scalp was, like, on fire. My face was on fire. Um, And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to call somebody to my room because I don't know what the hell is going on. So none of the buttons was working on the bed. I felt like I was in Final Destination. None of the buttons was working on my bed. The phone and the remote are not close to me. The phone's literally way behind me. So I had to, like, use my my right arm and pull myself. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it. And by the grace of God, I could pull the, the phone cord, and I smashed it down. And I, like, barely could get out that, you know, I can't breathe. Like, my it feels like my throat is closing. Um, when they give you an epidural or something that's strong, they're supposed to come and turn you on your opposite side, like, every 15, 20 minutes, and nobody had come mm-hmm. there and done that. Um, and I was laying flat, so the epidural had kind of, like, worked its way up from my waist all the way up to my chest. And Ooh. I'm allergic to penicillin, so um, when you have... Uh, forgot what it's called but it's like it's like a certain bacteria that a lot of women get when they're pregnant and they have to um give you like penicillin during birth so it doesn't like um transfer over to the baby i had it with kingston it's pretty normal and it goes away after you give birth um i can't have penicillin for that so they had to get an alternative and i don't know Mm -hmm. what their alternative was but i was allergic to that too so I'm, like, having an allergic reaction on top of I can't breathe right now on top of the baby's head is out. <laughs> yeah. And, um, they were like, they were like um, well, did your did her water break? What's going on? Um, like, we didn't hear anything. Um, they they called the, um, the anesthesiologist back in there, and she's like, well, her epidural is fine. Like, she didn't really care. Um, and I'm like, well, I'm telling you, like, I can't feel my throat like my chest feels heavy and um they were like well we can't 
we can't do anything about that right now. We have to worry about the baby, basically, because her her head was out. She was crowning. And I could see, like, in the TV in front of my bed, like, I could see all of her hair. <laughs> and I hadn't felt any contractions or anything. So my husband still wasn't there. And thank God he was, like, only eight minutes away. So he got there in mm-hmm. time for me to start pushing. So I pushed, not even really pushed, and she just came right on out. And they were like, well, we didn't, her water didn't break. It's not wet. They were trying to figure out what the hell had happened and why her head had come out basically on its own. And given, like, birth to her, like, pushing with her felt totally different with Kingston because when you have, when you have back labor, it literally feels like you're taking a, a dump. Like, that's what it feels like. It feels like you, you, like, pooping on yourself. So that's what I was expecting to feel with her, but I didn't feel that with her. My stomach was contracting with her, so it was like my stomach was jumping with her, and I didn't know that there was contractions. So it's like when they say every pregnancy is different, it really is because I thought that I was going to know everything, like, going in with her, and it was two totally different types of labor. Um, so after that, she was good. Um, I was good for the moment. Um, they came back in. I'm like, okay, well, your blood pressure is high. You're in heart attack range. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, dang, all over again. But I didn't let it, like, scare me or anything because, you know, I was kind of expecting that. Had to be on heart medicine, um, well, blood pressure medicine with Kingston. So I kind of knew what it was at this point. Um, so they came in. um giving me all kinds of different heart um, medicines. Mind you, I had already been hooked up to, like, magnesium, um, pitocin, um, whatever type of uh, antibiotic that it hooked me up to um, right. on, top, on top of something else. And when you t- when they give you magnesium through the IV, like, it burns so bad. Like, you, your veins feel on fire. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, I hope they don't give me no more medicine. And... I did like they had. They gave me Percocet on top of different blood pressure medicine. Like different doctors were coming in, so they were all prescribing their own what they thought, you know, was the best blood pressure medicine for me. So it was like, okay, I just felt wonky. I felt like I felt crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So I was good to go by day three, but they they were like, okay, well, mom, you're good to go, but um baby girl isn't, like, her bilirubin levels are um, way up, and we need to get those down, or we're going to have to keep her at the hospital, so thankfully, because of COVID, they didn't have to remove her from the room like they did with um, Kingston, she got to stay in the room with us the whole time, but they had to, uh, we had to, like, put the blue light on her, and babies hate that blue light, because they have to wear, like, blindfolds and all that. So she was hating it. They have to be naked. And, it, you know, it's freezing in the hospital. So right. I felt so pitiful for my little baby. But um, I started breastfeeding her more. I started pumping and um, making sure she was getting milk because through breast milk, um, uh, you can pretty much get that bilirubin all the way down because they poop it out. Um, so by the next day, her levels had gone all the way down, and we finally got to go home. And after that, it was pretty smooth sailing. Um, I didn't have any issues with her um, like I did with Kingston. Um, 
and I didn't have postpartum. That was the biggest thing. Oh, um, you did it. Okay, well, that's good. With, with Kingston, I had it horribly bad. Like, for those two weeks he was in NICU, um, I kind of got to be alone by myself, and I kind of had this false sense of what parenting was going to be like, what having a newborn was going to be like, because I was pumping, I was on schedule and everything, but I didn't really, I didn't physically have him with me. So it was kind of like a false sense of, you know, what having a new baby was like. Like, they were right. scared of my baby. And when I actually got him home, it was so overwhelming. And my husband, he was um, he was in college full-time and working. So, like, he was literally gone from 5 in the morning to 8 or 9 at night. And so I would be at home by by myself with Kingston all day long and I was in denial that I had postpartum but that's what it turned out to be like I didn't have any feelings of like wanting to hurt him um Mm -hmm. sometimes I did have thoughts but I wouldn't like have physically done it whenever I had those thoughts like I just wanted to like up and leave fall off the edge of the earth because that's what it makes you feel like it makes you feel like you know you're um you're not good enough. Um, you have mm-hmm. all these chores, like as a wife, as a mom, you trying to keep the house clean, uh, make make dinner, um, make sure you look presentable. Um, all that and it's like you have all these tasks every day and you're not meeting your tasks. So it just makes you feel defeated in a way. That's at least that's how I feel. And so yeah. When Kingston would constantly be crying, be colicky or anything like that, I would just have to go lay him in his crib and just, like, leave him. Because in those moments, I wasn't sure what could possibly happen. Like, I feel like I get why this, – this sounds horrible, but I get why some moms, you know, hurt their children. Like, I could totally get mm-hmm. that. I would have never done that to my son. That's why I always sat him down and just left and would, like, go outside and breathe for a minute and come back in because I knew he was in a safe place. And if he's crying, he's okay because no one's hurting him. Like, there's no reason for him to cry. He's just crying because I sat him down. Um, I just right. want to get that breath, calm down, and, you know, come back in. But I could totally see why some some women, you know, they fail and they end up hurting their infants. Like I can totally see like, and I feel like no one can really speak on that until they've gone through it. Like I know like a Mm -hmm. lot of people be like, Oh, well she's just crazy. She's insane. I don't like, even if she is going through postpartum, there's no reason for her to do that to her child. But it's, it's really a whole different ball game. Like I felt mental. Like I felt like I was psychotic and I didn't really know that I was going through postpartum, so I was, like, just constantly in denial. Had I known that that's what it actually was, I think I would have gotten help sooner. And it wasn't until I talked to my mom, like, I broke down crying. She was like, girl, you need to just go ahead and get help. So I finally told my husband because he was pretty oblivious. I feel like most men are are like, you know, just lost in the sauce. They don't know what the hell be going on. If you don't tell them right. that something's going on, they act like they, they just don't even know. They miss all the signs. So when I finally told him, like, he was just so comforting and that helped, like, so much. And I was just like, dang, I wish I, you know, 
could have read the signs more or I wasn't so, like, in denial about having it because there's nothing wrong with going through postpartum. I mean, you're expected. I feel like women should expect to go through postpartum because, for one, I was so insecure about my body um, after Mm. I gave birth. Um, Your stomach's your stomach is basically black. It looks like a little, it looks like a deflated beach ball. Um, <laughs> you have the dark line still down your, the middle of your stomach. Um, nobody, nobody. And I'm like, all these women in my family that have given birth and nobody told me that you're you going to bleed um, four to ten weeks after you have have your baby. Nobody told right. me that. <laughs> Nobody told me that, so I'm just like, bruh, like, I'm, I just don't know nothing. Um, so, so then, do you feel like, do, sorry, but do you feel like there there could be, like, more education when it comes to women, like, yes. dealing with yes. pregnancy and stuff? Yes, because, like, I really felt dumb. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't remember, like, learning any of this in school. Right, um, like mm-hmm. that or anything like that. My parents and my mama didn't tell me. Like I'm like, mama, your mom's supposed to be your champion when you have a baby, and she didn't tell me nothing. Um, thank God I had a friend who has like I think he's ten now. She she has a son, and she was like, okay, expect this. You can expect this. Um, you're gonna need pads. You're gonna need this, and. Okay, so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna have a, I'm, a, I'm gonna have a period, but it's not really a period after you give birth. It's just the all the lining and stuff that had built up while you're pregnant coming out. And when I tell you that shit smells horrible, oh my god, oh my it god. smells like it smells like death <laughs> to me. That's what it smells like. And I'm such an OCD clean person, neat freak. Um, like I was so self conscious. I was like, oh my god, my mama always told me. Um, if you can smell yourself, somebody else can smell you. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. I can smell myself. I hope don't nobody else smell me. Then I'm smelling like milk. My boobs are leaking. Um, baby crying. I'm at home by myself. I can't take a shower when I want to take a shower. My hair looks crazy. And then by six, by the time he was six months, my hair was falling out. When I tell you, um, like my edges, maybe an inch around, like, they were gone. Like, my my scalp was leather. That's what it felt oh like. My and God. I was like, bruh, I can't win for losing. But I hit it well, like, just the center part, you know, fake some edges, and you can never tell. But I was bald-headed. I was a bald-headed scallywag. <laughs> and, and I was like, bruh, nobody told me this. Like, why why don't women, you know, prepare other women? And so, exactly. like, yeah, so around the time, I was just like, somebody needs to, you know, do something for women so women know or to what to expect or, you know, how to get through certain things, how to get through postpartum, you know, mm-hmm. do do things that excite you, like make time for you. So once I figured all of that stuff out, um, after I had Kingston, like, my husband would get home, I was like, you know, I know you're tired, but I'm tired, too. I know you work a full-time job, but I do, too. Get this baby, and I'm about to get in the shower. So I would take a shower. I would put my little R&B music on, um, light a candle, take a shower in the dark. That's that's how I, like, just eased myself. Then I'd get in the bed and mm-hmm. go to sleep. 
Um, sometimes you got to do your makeup and make yourself look pretty. And um, so you feel pretty. So I would do that. Um, then after I, you know, start, you know, feeling myself a little bit more, I got me a little waist training, um, start dressing up more. Um, and I feel like doing all that with Kingston, like, it made it so much easier this time around because you can identify, like, certain triggers or certain kind of, like, actions that you're doing yourself that is, like, okay, that's, like, that's, like, a red flag for postpartum, okay? What you going to do right. to in the bud? Um, so I thank God I haven't, like, had any um, serious breakdown. Um, like that, like you still get frustrated when the baby's crying and screaming and you don't like have any help for the moment, but it's so much easier, like when you can identify those issues. So baby number two, definitely way easier than baby number one, because baby number one, you really, you think you have an idea what you're about to get yourself into, but you really never, never know. Um, because even if you do, do have someone to tell you, you can expect this, this, and this. Every woman's pregnancy is different. Every woman's mm-hmm. body is different. Like, you're not going to go through the same thing as another woman. But I feel like in sharing stories uh, and sharing, like, certain experiences, like, you can kind of get some advice from, you know, different women. Take take from here and there and kind of apply it to yourself. So that's what I was so excited about, you know being a part of this because I feel like you're doing something that's really good that's going to help a lot of women in a positive way. Oh, thank you so much. And this is this is what it was for, you know, like because your story was so much different from everyone else's story, you know. Like mm-hmm. you had different things that you had to go through, and that's what I wanted to bring when it comes to, you know, womanhood and pregnancy. I wanted to show that, there, these things that that happen when we're pregnant, before we get pregnant, you know, during birth, you know, during the labor process, like these mm-hmm. are the things that we need to know, you know, because yeah. we're not we're not educated enough. Because I felt, you know, just by you know listening to my sister, and I was in the room, I was in the hospital room with my sister when she had um, her son, and so mm-hmm. being in that room and just seeing everything, and I saw him come out. I said, Oh no, <laughs> hold up! <laughs> I was like, Wait. Pause. This was not what I thought that pregnancy and everything was was going to be. And then, like, she's walking around the hospital room, and, like, she has these long pads. I'm like, wait, what's going on? What is happening right now? So That first poop, oh, my God. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Yes, it's so scary. You're like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm going to fall apart down there if I push this poop out, and they will not get off your back about it. They'll be like, did you you make a bowel movement yet? Did you you move? Did you sit on the stool? Like, girl, like, can you give me a moment? Like, let me mentally process everything that's going on before I make this poop. And with Corey, like, I I couldn't, like, you know, they stick – what do they call it? a catheter? Uh huh. Oh my god, that hurts. I yes. had that before. Yes. Oh my that god. Hurts so bad. I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my god, god. I screamed. With Kingston, I was like, okay, I I know that somebody told me that they used to stick a catheter up there, you know, to you know get your urine. You don't have to do that with me. And then, <laughs> and then like, right, you you don't have to do that. Uh, no, that's that's um that's pretty 
normal. Like, we have to do that for everybody. And I was like, but I can get up and go to the bathroom. They're like, no, that's that's routine. So we have to put the catheter in. And so they put the catheter in. And I will say that when they fully empty your, empty your bladder, like, it feels so good. And they did that with Corey. But after I had Corey, I can move around after Kingston with ease. But after I had Corey, I don't know. She was bigger. I didn't rip with her, but she was bigger, so I think I felt it more with her. And it mm-hmm. literally took two nurses to help me get to the bathroom, and my bladder had gotten all the way full. I I couldn't walk. Like, I felt like somebody mm-hmm. was stabbing me, but I couldn't walk. And I peed. I think I peed for, like, two minutes straight. And, <laughs> but it felt good. <laughs> it felt good, but it just, I don't know, you feel... You feel crazy in those moments because you're so doped up on yeah. drugs. At least I was. And after Kingston, after I was, after I had so many drugs with Kingston, it, I felt like I was wearing foggy goggles for like a good month. Mm-hmm. Like everything mentally felt like a haze. Like mm-hmm. I knew that I was living and walking, but I felt so absent from my body. Like it was, it was weird. That's. I think Kingston's birth was so traumatic for me that that was kind of like a trigger that started my postpartum. So right, yeah. Oh, see, and this and this is why you know conversations like this need to be started because you will never know what you're actually probably going to experience when it comes to pregnancy, Mm -hmm. birth, labor, all that until you talk to somebody. But it seems like it seems like. And especially when it comes to, like, black women, because black women, I yeah. feel like we we go through the most when we're pregnant. Yeah. You know? And we don't really um, have any support. Exactly. And it's it's to the point now where it's just like, well, how come we're not we're not speaking on this in, like, in the sisterhood? Yeah. How come we're not talking about it? How come, you know, no, everybody's so like, oh, yeah, you see my child? Yeah, I do. But what did you go through to get him here? <laughs> what, yeah, what did you go through, literally? That's just too much, like, right. Like, I feel like that's just deeply ingrained in our DNA for whatever reason. Like, the the black family, black community, we never, like, to talk about our experience we never like to you know help the other person up we never like to address stuff like mental illness stuff you know like family or you know stuff relationships relationships with men like um because personally like my parents were like so so strict and would tell me oh well you can't do this you can't do that because my mom had me at 15 so it was always you can't have a baby. We don't want you to have a baby. No sex, no this, no that. But it's like you sh- you stress all these things, but you never really taught me anything of value. So it's just right. like I hear all these don't do this, don't do that. But you never really taught me the reasoning behind not doing this, not doing that. You never really sat me down and gave me any real-life lessons, how to, you know, effectively choose, you know, a good partner, um, my mom told me absolutely zero about, you know, childbirth and labor, and no one in my family even breastfed. So when I told them I was breastfeeding, it was just like I was speaking the damn foreign language. Like, it was it was so taboo. They were like, oh, well, you breastfeeding? Oh, you sure you want to do that? Um, your, your titties are going to be saggy after that. And I was just like, you know what? Like, why is everything about appearance, like, Mm-hmm. Why has nobody breastfed their child? Like, you don't know the benefits. 
and I just did it anyways, even though I had, like, so much pushback and nobody really supported me, like, not even my own grandmother. She was like, oh, well, I didn't mm-hmm. breastfeed any of my kids, um, so I just don't know how that's going to turn out for you. And I just felt like I was in it alone. But I figured it out. I'm breastfeeding Corey, too, and I honestly feel like it's the best thing you do, but I won't say that it's not stressful. And I right. won't say that sometimes that'll make you feel defeated, too, because that's one thing that I went through with Kingston. I breastfed him for 11 months, but um, my production um, sometimes went down, so I had to supplement with formula. And on IG, you see all these moms, like, with a milk, uh, a freezer full of milk. I was trying to get on that level, but I just couldn't. And I just felt like, I don't know. I felt like a failure for that. I felt like, mm-hmm. oh, well, why am I not, why can't I do that? Um, why mm-hmm. am I not producing that much? Why can't I save that much? Like, um, I don't know. It just made me feel defeated. But I didn't have anybody to learn from or anybody to tell me, you know, I breastfed too. That's normal. It's okay. Um, a fed baby is, you know, a healthy, a happy baby. Um, it doesn't right. matter if it's formula or breast milk. As long as your baby's fed, as long as your baby's thriving, you know, it's good. And don't be so hard on yourself. I didn't have anybody to tell me that. So, with Corey, mm-hmm. like, I kind of feel like my um, production is getting a little lower, but I know also that it's totally fine if she has to get formula. Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. As long as your baby's healthy, happy, alive, then, you know, it's good. Right. So, you know, with how your parents and your grandparents and everybody else raised their children, do you think that how you would raise, you know, your son and your daughter would be different? Oh, totally. <laughs> totally different. Me and my sisters, we talk about it all the time. My sisters are 23 and 18, and mm-hmm. um, my parents always been strict. I couldn't go nowhere, do nothing high school I couldn't go to any games real nothing um and my sisters they already be like picking at me they're like um you totally different from mom and daddy like Kingston and Corey they do more than we ever did like I make it a habit to like let let Kingston be free to like let him go do whatever of course within Mm -hmm. you know boundaries yeah always by his side um and I take him places and, like, show him new things. Like, we go to the high museum every Thursday on a regular. We take him to the zoo. We've taken him on vacations, on trips and stuff like that. And my parents were always so overprotective, overbearing. Like, I didn't get to do anything. I didn't go to Six Flags till I was 25. I didn't go, <laughs> I didn't go to White Waters until I was 20, like, I've lived in Georgia for my whole life, basically. So for me to not have done, like, the staple things that a person from Georgia does, like, it's just mind-blowing to me. I didn't do nothing that a normal person raised in Georgia does until I was well in my 20s. So mm-hmm. Kingston's done more stuff than I ever Every day, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I pride myself in that. Like, I make sure that, you know, he's um talking to other like kids his age because in school I was such a shy quiet person and socially awkward I still am 
just not as much. Like, I literally have to um, write down what I'm going to say if I call um, a company to pay, to pay a bill. I have to write down what I'm going to say if I'm calling somewhere and, you know, ordering some food or something like that. Like, I get so nervous. My social anxiety is, like, on 100. And I'm just so happy that my son is the totally opposite of me. Like, he'll go up to a stranger and talk to him. Like, me, I can never do that. So <laughs> I just make sure... I just make sure that, you know, he's introduced to, like, so many other things more than what I ever was because I want him to be, you know, like a well-rounded person, you know, when he becomes right. of age and when he gets to, um, like, 18 and he's graduating college or whatever, I want him to know that, you know, your life is your life. Whatever you choose to do with it, whichever route you choose to take, you know, that's totally up you I'm going to be here to support you always because my parents mm-hmm. I don't want my parents to sound bad because they are good people but because of their upbringing because of their own traumas they didn't really have all the tools and you know what they needed to make me the well-rounded person and you know that I want my son to be like they just you know raised me in the way that they best knew how so I, that's that's yeah. another thing that I feel about you know black families. It's kind of like a repeating cycle from generation mm-hmm. to generation because we just be, we just you know raising our kids um, based on the things that we were dealt with. We might have went through our own mm-hmm. traumas. Like I'll say that um, my mom, she was so hard on me because she was a teenage mom. She didn't get to be a kid, so I can understand the things that they did because the things that they went through. And so right. all you can all you can do is just take that knowledge and, you know, make sure that you don't repeat that. Like consciously make efforts to not make those same mistakes. So I I don't fault um them for anything. Now that you get older and a little bit wiser you can understand and you see things from the perspective. So when it comes exactly. to black women I I think it's the same the same thing. Like we don't share things because we've all been through our own traumas, and it's like right. we cling to our own traumas instead of, you know, like releasing them and letting them out in the open so it can help somebody else. Like, that's forever the black community, and I wish we would just change that narrative because we could be so much of a better people together if we were to share those, like, experiences, um, help each other out, and, you know, stop clinging to trauma. Mhm. Man, you said a word there. So, like, when it comes to men and their ignorance when it's about pregnancy and stuff, what is one thing that you think men should gain while listening to this, or while you know seeing a pregnant woman or speaking with a pregnant woman? Um, I think they could gain a little bit more empathy, um, a little bit more compassion. And um, I don't know, gain a sense of what your woman is really going through and really put in some effort to make things a little bit easier for her. Um, Because my husband, um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you, have yeah, to, you have to tell him, you have to verbatim tell him out your mouth, okay, I'm going through this. I need you to do this, this, and this, instead of, you know, like him just 
seeing things and doing doing things and getting stuff done to help me out. Like, I think he's better this time around because also I can't fault him because with Kingston, though, he didn't first know. time ever, ever being a dad. So, like, I can't, I guess you can't expect them to know right off the bat everything because you don't even know yourself. So, right. I, exactly. you got to give them a little, little bit of grace. But by baby two, you should be stepping. You should know exactly what to do. I ain't got to tell you to go get this bottle when it's two in the morning because I didn't fed her all throughout the day. This is the least you could do. Um, to, right. the doctor, to to bathe her like stuff like that. Like I just feel like men should see how much that their woman goes um, through for carrying their child, and to just make life a little bit easier for her. And that can be like the simplest gesture. Um, she might she might want to cook and make dinner, and she might not be able to because it's too many tasks. So order order right. some dinner from her favorite restaurant one night um treat her to the spa um take the baby tell her to go out with her friends you know just simple things like it's stuff like that that helps you from going crazy right and I I just also think like when it comes to us being more educated I feel like when women become more educated on the things that you know they will go through or the Mm -hmm. um phases that they will go through in in the pregnancy It'll be mm-hmm. better once they'll be able to educate their man or be able, yeah. be able to educate it, you know, more men. Because then everybody yeah. will be on one accord. You know, although yeah. they still won't know the full, the full, mm-hmm. the full phase of like what we go through, but at least yeah. they'll have some type of idea and they'll be more willing to, you know, empathize with us and say, okay, well, I got this. Do you need anything? You know, ask those yeah. types of questions to be to feel, you know, like one. In a sense. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. definitely. So, yes, if there's one like, thing that you could say to mothers and to the future mothers, what would it be? Hmm. It would be to embrace the journey, the, the highs and the lows, um, and to never beat yourself up. Um, don't have such high standards that you can't meet them yourself. And it's Mm. absolutely okay to not be a superwoman. You don't have to do it all. Um, Use your family and your friends because it truly does take a village. Thank you so much. Thank you. Because, listen, (laughs) your your stories, like both of them, well, especially Kingston, because – that, that yeah. little baby, poor little baby. <laughs> that little baby wants you so much, you know. But it, yeah. these are the type of conversations that I wanted to start, and I'm so happy that you were willing to share not just one but both of your stories. Um, no thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> wow. Wow, 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 wow. Amazing, amazing. Not necessarily what she went through, amazing. But the fact that she was able to give the details of the complications um, that pregnancy can have in some women. And some of these things I didn't even know, you know, and I'm sure that there's other women out there that were not aware of it either. This is why I'm having these conversations. This is why it is so important to find a doctor, find 
a person that is going to be able to be patient, to answer all of your questions, to not rush the process, but to help you understand it fully and to understand your body during that time. It is imperative. It is imperative. But I hope you guys learn something, learn something new. Um, again, I want to thank Ariana for sharing her story and sharing her experiences through pre-birth and after birth. Um, it was definitely enlightful and I can't, I just cannot wait. These, these interviews have been nothing but amazing and it just doesn't stop here because even when they say that black women have a higher death rate when it comes to pregnancy, guess what? We are still exceeding while black. Peace and love, y'all. I'm out.